Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 5 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. Okay, so uh, launches. We haven't had that many launches. We've had three more, 76 things according to Space Track. So we've got no Earth observation satellites gone up. Maybe we're sort of tricking ourselves into thinking that we're going to get a, a cool new Earth observation satellite every three weeks. I'm surprised that Planet haven't put something up in the last three weeks, just because we rely on them for this section of the podcast. They, they launched a lot last time, didn't they? We had a big jump. Um, anyway, the, the thing you mentioned was Falcon Heavy, wasn't it? Yes, so that was launching Arabsat. Did you see the launch? Well, uh, nobody really cares about the launch anymore. Did you see the landings? <laughs> <laughs> I did, and they landed the, the main booster. Yeah, that was really cool. It's just absolutely insane, really, when you think where we were 20 years ago. So the news on 1st of May 2019, I've just got a couple of announcements for events that I want to make before we really get into the meat of the news. Stack Sprint 4 will take place at Planet Labs in San Francisco on June the 4th to the 6th. So if you want to be involved with that, there is a Google form that you can fill in. And then the other thing that is happening is the second Analysis Ready Data workshop looking at data interoperability is happening at the USGS campus in California on August the 5th to the 7th. And again, there's also a, a Google Forms for that. So we'll put those links in the show notes because I'm sure lots of people will be very interested in those. Some cool events coming up in the US. There's been quite a lot of news and it's sort of difficult sometimes to sort of digest it down to what's the main thing. I wanted to give a nod to the fact that Digital Globe is giving up its name. Well, that's going to be a big change. Yeah, it's Maxar bought Digital Globe. And Digital Globe is sort of, bear with me on this analogy, but a bit like the shapefile. It's the <laughs> best name for what it is, right? Digital okay. Globe. Yep. Yeah, as I, as I see it. And I think it probably has, at least in my opinion, one of the better recognisable names in satellite Earth observation. Yeah, I would say it's a strong brand. And it's certainly one that has a big reach. So whether one Maxar is going to have this same brand recognition, I don't know. I mean, I can understand why they do it, but in many ways, I feel a bit sad that we're losing a really good name. The second thing is the BBC are showing a series on satellite data called the Earth from Space. And this is in part a link with the Open University. Um, it's a nicely put together series. It's very focused on optical and true colour data and spends a lot of time saying from space. It's good. The Open University have done a free Earth from Space poster that you can claim. I've put my order in. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it because so often trying to explain what you do is difficult. Yeah. Okay, so I've got a couple more things. First off, I just want to say congratulations to Sentinel Hub. More than 100 million requests on the platform. So that's really good. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention is an absolutely brilliant PyData talk. It's on YouTube, so I'll put the link in the show notes. 
by someone called uh, Julia Signal, who works for Anaconda. Basically, the talk is about PyViz tools and the data set that she's using to, to demonstrate these are twofold. One is Landsat thermal band, and then the second one is an open data set of street tree locations. Definitely check it out. It's, it's a nice talk. Thermal band of Landsat? Yeah. Great. That's not one that most people talk about so that is definitely something i'm going to have a look at um i want to quickly mention that geopandas has been updated it's a python library that acts like pandas but, but geo <laughs> but geo yeah you know you can read a shapefile in sort of three lines so it's super good geopandas is where it's at right this is now at 0.50 release. Go and have a look at geopandas.readthedocs.io and see how you can make maps. I mean, it's it's so easy for plotting. You just you just won't believe how easy it is. The other thing I was unsure about mentioning or not is that the ECW format is apparently now out of patent. Oh. The other thing I wanted to mention, and it's more something that I've discovered rather than necessarily being new, but it's something called Pangeo. But it's um, a community that's promoting open, reproducible and scalable science. They're using tools such as X-Array, Iris, Dask, Jupyter and things like that. So things that we've talked about on the podcast. But it just looked really interesting and I, I sort of thought people should have a look at what's on there. So some of the geoscience use cases that they've got are around areas of uh, oceanography and climate modeling and meteorology. But it's sort of a framework of tools that you can deploy on, on cloud infrastructure or high performance uh, computing clusters. It's an interesting looking project and very similar in some ways to what we talked about in the last episode and what we're going to talk about more in the, the main section of this episode, which is the Dias systems. And then the final thing, I just wanted to give a quick heads up to Open Drone Map, because I don't think we discussed drones quite enough on the podcast. There's been an update to Open Drone Map and can now look at preview and export contours directly from the map view. Again, that's a really good job by the developers there to listen to the community and then implement something uh, that people said that they needed. Oh, yeah, this is nice. It's cool. Yeah. The last piece of news I, I wanted to talk about is a blog. And as you probably can tell, I really like blogs. Anyway, this, this blog that I read was by Mark Johnson, who's the CEO of Descartes Labs. And it's entitled Selling Data Products is the Wrong Business Model for AI Startups. Descartes Labs are one of these companies that are using satellite data to process huge amounts of pixels. This is an interesting blog post because he kind of concludes by saying... We set out to sell a subscription service to the data. The problem with selling data subscriptions is that the value of the information erodes as the more people know about it. They've kind of taken a step, Descartes Labs, into building a data refinery so that they see that as more viable than selling data subscriptions. Really, the sort of message I took away from it is, is sort of one that we've kind of discussed a little bit in the past, that you use the data in combination or alongside your internal processes, information, insights to enable you to model better or to extract more value from what you do. But anyway, it's an interesting post. It's well worth reading. That's the news. Okay, so now let's move on to our topic. In this episode, we're going to carry on talking about Dias that we introduced last time around. 
when we posted some of the information about the episode up on Twitter, um, there was quite a lot of interaction and people were posting various things and, and retweeting it and what have you. One of the things that was really, really good was that one of the Dias systems actually got in touch with us. So we're just going to edit in a very short chat that we had with Creodias and get them to try and clarify some of the points that, that we were a little bit unsure of. So here's that interview. Thanks, guys, for joining us, and it's really great to have you on. Maybe we could start by sort of getting a feeling of what actually is a DS or a DIAS. We perhaps start with saying, what's the correct pronunciation would be useful? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know whether there is a correct pronunciation. <laughs> Project is international, and we can hear from any uh, spelling you can get. So uh, DIAS stands for Data and Information Access System. And the whole idea of the system is to do something meaningful. Users of that data needed to access multiple data sources, because in order to do meaningful things, you very often need to cross data from different sources. People at ESA have realized that in order to facilitate access to that data, the best thing would be to have a kind of homogeneous way of accessing of that data and of processing of that data. So uh, one thing was to bring several data sources together and make them accessible in a homogeneous way. And the other thing was to bring processing to the data because the volumes of data that are involved in Earth observation are quite large. Projects still now, if they are not on a dias, spend most of their time downloading data, waiting for that data to be downloaded, correcting errors. So the idea of a dias is to bring several Earth observation data sources together, make them accessible in a homogeneous way, uh, and provide cloud processing uh, resources close to that data. Who exactly are the DIAS aimed at? Is there a specific user group that DIAS as a group is trying to target? There are two things about DIAS. One is to address the user groups that are currently existing and are aware of the fact that this data exists and that uh, they are in processing Earth observation data people who have been in this observation business uh, for long. But in parallel to this, diocese are about popularizing this uh, data and attracting new user groups. But Earth observation is quite new. Easy availability uh, of that data is even newer. Many users are simply not aware of the fact that this data exists and that it can be so easily accessible. So do you have analysis-ready data inside DS? Is that what DS is looking to do, is, is provide analysis-ready data? All DS and our DS too are um, a kind of work in progress, yes? We start with the basic data we uh, get from the Sentinel, we get from ESA. We make it available in a homogeneous form. We add some tools for cataloging and making that data available on top of this. So you, you can get tiled data that is generated dynamically from the diocese. Okay. We also have processing on demand, which allows you to, to process the raw ISA data to the higher uh, levels. We have some of that data because we need to store it. So storage at this scale gets quite expensive. 
We currently have 15 petabytes of data stored in, uh, in our cloud. The whole idea is to provide easily accessible processors. We also, as a DIAS, must be quite careful to provide the things that are useful for uh, many users in the community without making competition to our own customers. <laughs> this is quite a delicate position because the last thing we would like to do is to compete with customers because we are about providing useful services to customers, not competing with customers. And also the purpose of the DIAS is not to attract end customers, it's to attract what is called third-party customers or third-party users who would build their solution or their processing on top of the DIAS without having to invest into the, all the infrastructure, storage, et cetera, et cetera. So for instance, say Andrew or I would build a, an app or a workflow on a DIAS system such as yours, and then we would market that to our customers? Exactly. Okay. That's exactly the idea. Well, we as Cloudfaro, the company operating Cloud DIAS, we are a cloud provider. We provide all the infrastructure as a service, computing uh, and cloud. It seems to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but DS is sort of in two parts, this discovery data part and this virtual machine processing in the cloud part. How do you see your DS or any of the DSs, in fact, being different to all the other systems out there? From some DSs you can get, from us you can easily get uh, DMs and environments, uh, user environments that you can uh, configure pretty uh, flexibly. In terms of the discovery, I think that users are faced with a whole barrage of options of which none are that apparent to a new non-specialized user. With the, the VM stuff, you've given us a little more clarity. I can see benefit. The, the biggest question I would have is why do I not spin up my own cloud Software. Well, there is a very clear answer to, to that question. If you uh, place this VM in our cloud, you get broad bandwidth access to uh, the DS data, which you don't get when the VM is placed anywhere else. Okay, So you get basically with your VM, you, you get free broadband access to this data. Okay, okay. And you get this data accessible in a very, very easy, easy way because when you take a VM from us, you just get the whole data catalog accessible as a directory in that VM, as a folder in that VM. Okay, so it's already there. You spin it up. It's already there. You don't need to download it. You don't need to unzip it because the data is, uh, the files are unzipped. They are uh, available as is. If you want to run your own processing on top of this, it is extremely easy. You can treat this data as if it was on your local uh, machine. What you're saying to me is that I could have QGIS and if I knew what I wanted and I could, again, find what I wanted, I could use it as a cloud GIS. Yes. Would you be up for telling us a little bit more about the Creodias Consortium? Creodias, the, the easiest way to find out about us is to get on the Creodias website, creodias.eu. If there is anything you don't find, you just throw us an email or uh, give us a call and you, you can get support. You can easily get a test environment on the site. You get 150 euros worth of credit, which, which allows you to, to get a virtual machine and uh, to test. So that was the 
interview that we did with Creodias, we recorded a little bit more than that. And one of the things that I felt was really good, and I don't know if you agree with me, Andrew, was that going into that interview, I was a bit confused as to what the Dias systems were and what their point was and who they were aimed at. And I feel that having spoken to someone who's involved in one of the consortia, that actually I've got a little bit more clarity on what they do and what how they could be important uh, in the future. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it was really useful. So thank you so much for helping us. If any of the other DISs, DSs, we still haven't decided <laughs> want to offer further guidance, then we'd be very receptive to that. I, I wanted to also thank Sentinel Hub for getting in contact on Twitter as well for furthering the conversation along. And they pointed us at a link to an ESA open invitation to tender about something called Open Earth Engine. This has been an incredible sort of learning experience for me at least. And I'm, I'm really glad that we've had the opportunity to, to sort of look at this in a bit more depth. But the Open Earth Engine is sort of more like what I thought DS was going to be. This is interesting. I think having that Open Earth Engine will be a good addition alongside the DIAS platforms. Because now that I understand that the DIAS platforms are there effectively to move the compute to the data and to try and take the pain out of having to spin up your own system on one of the cloud providers, I actually think that both the Open Earth Engine and the DIAS can work alongside each other. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting times for the next few years, I think. As as we say at every podcast, we're more than happy to take comments and pointers at things that we've missed. Yeah, and corrections. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we put our hands up and say, we're just learning like everyone else is about this. Before we had our discussion with Creo Diaz, um, we were going to run through these in a bit more detail. But having had more clarity given to us, which is basically that we've got a discover side and a processing side in the cloud, I don't think there's much value in us saying the pros and cons of each discover side. There are certain tiny things that differentiate them that maybe we can highlight. I mean, for me, generally, I've looked at all the discover offerings from the five different consortiums, but I haven't used any of the virtual environments it wasn't until our conversation that i realized that one of the key differentiators was to have this vast volume of data at your fingertips so i haven't looked at wekio which is the the more climate oriented one but i tried to create accounts on the other four just in order to see sort of how easy it was to create those accounts in general i didn't have any problems Overall, just on a personal level, I think the SoBlue and the Onda front pages are the most engaging. Those were the two uh, sites that made me want to find out more. But I also really like the the Monday Get Started button, which I thought was a really good idea. Because when you go to these four different DIAS front ends, knowing where to start is probably the first thing that you want to do. And so having that button was a really good touch. And then Creodias has a, a mentions a free trial, which I thought was really good. Because again, it shows that if you click on that, you're able to get some sort of um, understanding of what the system is like at no cost. Whereas some of the others just state an offer and you don't really know what that offer means until you've clicked through. So I think just being really basic and blunt and upfront right at the beginning on the front pages is a really good way of doing it because most people are going to, they're going to come to the sites and they're going to go, right, walk me through this. I, I need to 
to get certain things done, but I don't want to spend time trying to find out how to do them. They all have the same sort of structure of varying degrees of saying data, services, resources, help, news, offer, support. One of the things that struck me when I was going through them all was they're absolutely crying out for blog posts, for user examples to step me through, especially in the virtual environment. Now, there is documentation. It's variable between platforms, but there's a lot of it on how to create an account and the nuts and bolts I want to know when I log on, what am I going to see? What, what am I going to get? You know, I want to see GDAL example using in the, in the cloud. How do I find the data? But I think I know, but I just want to have it put in front of me. So one of the things I found was if you sort of, like there's usually a tools or a, a software tab on these pages. And I was sort of expecting that if it was something like, let's say GDAL or Grass or QGIS, that rather than just telling me that you can get that somehow, there would be a big button that is like you press it, you stick in your credit card details or whatever, and there it is, it, it's there in front of you within five minutes sort of thing. I sort of agree that it needs to be that level of talking us through how to get the common things that we're most likely to want up and running. I do read the documentation, but I generally do it after I've been shown something amazing. Documentation can be quite dry and people put a lot of effort into it and it's a bit of a thankless task quite often. And most people say we have got documentation and I think that's true for all of them, but it's very technical. That's not to be a criticism, but virtually all of them say in their videos, this is a game changer. If it's going to be a game changer, then it can't just be the technical people looking through the documentation, trying to work out how to pass requests or get access to the data. It's, it's got to be accessible to everybody. The technical person is going to have to justify to the person holding the budget why this is better than what they're currently doing. And we think we understand that based on discussions we've had as part of the whole research around getting these couple of episodes going, which is that the data and the computer right next to each other. You're right. There needs to be almost like a hand-holding few blog posts about like, okay, well, you want to create, uh, for want of anything better, a monthly NDVI layer and show it on a map. Yeah, that would be great. If there was a step-through tutorial on that sort of thing, I think that would really help get new users. Or or even at the end saying, and bang, in one hour of compute time, you've got the NDVI for 10 years or whatever it is. It's impossible for me to sort of know about everything. And, and these dioceses almost seem to me to be a kind of, you need sort of three or four other people to come in and say, oh yes, I, you know, this, this is how, you know, this is this bit and, you know, this is yeah. this bit. We all work together. And that's why I think it's compelling for building apps and stuff like that. Absolutely. Because, you know, you see this advertised all the time, front-end developer, back-end developer, project manager, all this kind of stuff that handles the billing and all this, you know, I can, I can see many people wanting many different things. Well, one thing I just wanted to say was I really dislike trackers and things on websites. And so I installed a plugin onto my browser called Privacy Badger. It blocks a lot of stuff from Esri and from Google. Um, but what was quite nice is that so blue, Privacy Badger reported no trackers on that homepage. So just from a security aspect, I liked that. Interesting. And so I really, 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 really recommend to the other three that they try and do something similar. I do have the sense that they are very much cloud computing suppliers, and this is their observation offering. Having sort of 
looked at it with different eyes, I sort of see that they have a lot of experience. It is early days. Grodias, I love that they have a sort of example scene and you can go ahead and download it. And their scenes.creodias.eu pages is quite interesting. Um, it's getting more to what I'm sort of hoping to find but i do like i do like the marketplaces that are on offer from the different suppliers uh, the trouble is is that they're all very similar and so i don't want to single one out as being better than the others because i don't think that's that's not the right way to look at this I'm, I'm just looking at monday now and the first thing that comes up on the landing page on my screen is a little banner uh, that says cloud optimized geotiff available now that might not mean much to some people but to most of us here specialists it's like wow okay that is a good reason to be hitting monday but then so blue also has, has a really good marketplace and I, I saw last night that front and center is their desktop offering and they explain that that's where you can get some of the graphical tools that we're more familiar with onda as well it's got a sort of benefits of onda page that's pretty easy to find it's got a nice promotional video as well and it does try to explain on its landing page who it is for one of the things that might happen over the next year or so is that each of these will start to focus on a specific type of user because that will be the differentiator between these i think i think you made the point in the last podcast you were trying to sort of say which is the one i should go with i think the answer to that question as, a, as i said today is there is no answer. You just got to go with a gut feel. Yeah. From our poll, not many people seem to know what the DS was. So I think there's still work to be done there. You get committed to one, I think. My question is, will my using one of these four services be more beneficial for the client? If I said, don't worry about the infrastructure, I'm going to use one of the DIAS systems and all the data is sat there next to the thing. So that won't be a problem. Yeah. I think pricing is my fundamental issue with this. And maybe until we just suck it up and say, hello, can we actually have a go? Until I know I can just do a Docker pull and process the data and work out how much it costs, I don't think I can go to my clients and say it's definitely better or worse. It's certainly something that I think that I should do because it would be a really strong offering to be able to bring your own processing environment with you to a job. And it makes a lot more sense from my perspective that someone else is looking after keeping the infrastructure up and running. I'm feeling really positive towards all four. My only issue is, as you say, it's the one that stands from the last episode, which is I don't know which one I should choose. I don't think you and me are going to be the big users of this, but I'm happy to be proved wrong. I think we should come back to it, maybe this time next year, come back and, and see where things are, because we might have we might have used it by then. Certainly by then, there will have been more users on each of the different systems. I think it's sort of making a case for defence. I, I do feel it's difficult for us properly to evaluate all of them, and it's much harder than I realised it was going to be. Yes, and maybe they shouldn't be compared against each other. Maybe we should just be saying, well, they are search and discovery and they are compute and you will choose one of them if you want to use a DIAS. It'd be really interesting, actually, if anyone's using more than one. I think until either of us have started creating apps, you know, even if it's just using a Jupyter notebook or something on each of them, and just seeing how simple it is to get that up and running, that would be a good test. We put in a reasonable amount of time to looking at each of them this time, and it still wasn't really enough because there's so much potential there. I think if you're looking for a simple way of accessing earth observation data particularly from the open sentinel data sets then using a ds is a reasonable place to start
If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then we encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Matt underscore Andrew. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around the podcast. Thanks very much for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Cheerio. Bye. These are my five favourite hats. <laughs> All other hats are optional. Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.